Alright, three's the crowd. I'm here once again in the blockhouse, as always, with Kelly. How's it going today, Kelly? It's so good. It's it's uh, farmer's market day. Yeah, we're doing this on a Saturday. Which um, we usually do not do. We usually do not do. So we are doing it in the middle of the day. Just listen to them play I Shall Be Released outside. Uh, but they made it like a seven minute version, which good on them. But I do prefer Dylan's uh, nice little two minute version. <laughs> so Kelly, I just got back from Virginia. How was the time off all we do is just sit here and research for an entire week it's true so i was gone for the week how, so how was your how was your week just in a nutshell um it was hard because the song is not very good oh hard my times. god how appropriate it's it i was not feeling bob dylan this week okay. if i'm 100 percent honest i went on a couple of musical journeys that was great uh completely Irrespective of Bob Dylan, yes, um, as you do, and uh, yeah, it was just hard. It's hard to get into it, even though our playlist is good this week. It's fun. That Paramore song is a banger. It's it's great. They <laughs> it's really so have come catchy. out of nowhere. I mean, what a band. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's uh, also it was really cool to have a playlist that literally every song is the word hard, hard times. times. Like, yes. oh my god, straight on through. Yeah, so. incredible. Well, Kelly, it's sad to hear that you had a hard time this week with hard times. Yeah, and Bob Dylan. But I'm sorry, this is a Bob Dylan podcast. I know. I've been listening to Bob Dylan for most of my life. Kelly has heard roughly the same number of songs as a number of Braille characters in the old six-dot system. Yeah. And this week, we listened to 1992's and 1854's <laughs> Hard Times. I wonder what the current dot system is. What are they up to? Maybe seven dots. Better pause in life's pleasures and count While we all song that will linger forever in our ears. Our times come again no more. Is the song the sound? All right, Kelly, so hard times, kind of a hard hang. Would say tough hang, but hard is really going to be the word of the day. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of a, kind of a, you know, strange song. This is our first Good as I've been to you song since uh, episode nineteen, Little Maggie. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Little Maggie was great. Was was great. And I, I think that there's a lot in this Bob Dylan version that is uh, to be admired. I, I think it's not horrible. It's not unlistenable. It's just not really the vibe, especially in the summer, that you're looking for. At least for me. I mean, it just it immediately conjures images for me of like a funeral in 1860. <laughs> This is what would play. Yeah. Well, sure, sure. Um, and it's also, it's a hard scrapple song. I mean, it's talking about people with hard times, having hard times. You know, we go through hard times. I think it's universal when you're going through hard times because it's a, it's a tad uplifting because hard times are going to be around no more. Well, and it's speaking more broadly to it. like socioeconomic conditions. Right, exactly. And that's what makes it interesting being yeah. coming from the 1850s uh, itself. So let's talk about a little bit of Bob's context to the song and then we're going to talk about some Stephen Foster. So, uh, contextually, this song was recorded in July and August of 1992 in Malibu. We don't know a whole lot about it. Uh, but this was, um, at first, a contract filler for Bob, and then it became something bigger. And this was a critical success, if, if you will, compared to Under the Red Sky. So it prompted World Gone Wrong, which came out next year, which was another album of covers um, that we have not actually, I don't think we've had any songs from that yet uh, on the podcast. And I said it before, probably with Little Maggie, but this was his first solo album by himself since 1964's Another Side of Bob Dylan. 
So that was an event just in and of itself. This song has been played 30 times total from April 12th, 1993 to August 21st, 1993. So, which was just the run up, you know, the never ending tour for this album. And then he's like, goodbye, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's Dylan's uh, context to the song. But I think it's important to talk about who wrote the song. Where did the song come from? Who, you know, it, before we talk about the song, the writing of the song, where it came from, all that stuff, I want to talk about Stephen Foster. Okay. So I took a music class my first year in college, and that's where I learned of Stephen Foster. I had never been... I, I don't know if I ever really heard his name in school, and if I did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't remember it. But he certainly has written a lot of uh, enduring songs in American history. Yeah. And, uh, and even if you don't know his songs, per se, or they're not even like in vogue... I mean, Hard Times is probably a big one. Came Town Races, everyone has kind of heard, because it's so simple. Uh, these were international and national hits. And even if you don't know the songs themselves, the 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 imagery, the characters, they've become American institutions. So you might not even know you're listening to something that Stephen Foster was sort of singing about and writing about 150 years ago that are still being, that are still part of Americana music. If you ever watched the old music. Looney Tunes cartoons, yeah. you've heard Stephen Foster. You've heard Stephen Foster, yeah. exactly. And you might not even know it. So that's Absolutely. what's kind of fascinating about him. So, Kelly, tell me more and tell the listeners more about Stephen Foster. Captown gals all sing this song. Do-da, do-da. Captown racetrack ten miles long. Oh, do-da day. Fifteen men on the Captown track. Do-da, do-da. Trying to hold that bay horse back. Bound to run all night, bound to run all day. I bet my money on a bobtail nag. Stephen Foster. Stephen Collins Foster. Born on the 4th of July. Our little patriot, they used to call him. That's not true. That's a Buffy reference. Uh, 1826 and died January 17th or 7th. 13th. I don't think it was 7th. Yeah. Died January 13th. 1864, so he was only 37 when he died. Considered the father of American music, known for parlor and minstrel songs. Really cool. Well, we'll get into that. Uh, and died by cutting his neck open after falling down from a fever in his hotel room, which is fucking intense. Somebody found him. He was still alive, apparently, in a pool of blood, but then died in the hospital shortly thereafter. Um, he's His life is kind of mysterious because apparently his brother, like, destroyed a lot of his documents and stuff anything that might be disgraceful to the family because the dude was real uh concerned with the family's image apparently not that they were a people of note necessarily he ran the brother ran a steamboat company um, as you do yes you do in ohio in cincinnati which is why stephen foster ended up moving there they were from pennsylvania yeah pittsburgh 30 miles away from camp town pennsylvania hey. hey um so when he moved to Cincinnati to work as a bookkeeper and his brother's steamboat company, um, he wrote Oh Susanna. And that nice. song, <laughs> at the time, the most high-selling piece of sheet music was 5,000 copies, and that sold 100,000 copies. <laughs> so he was like, you know what? I think I could, I think I could I, do this. I think I got this. Funny, though, he only made about um, $200 from writing that song yeah. uh, and then he and got royalties for two cents off of every piece of so hot soul. froze to death Susanna don't you cry oh Susanna oh don't you cry for me I come from Alabama with the band 
So a couple different companies had published the sheet music, but when Firth and Pond, Firth Pond and Company in 1854 published it, he then got royalties for two cents a copy after it. But yeah, $2,774 in today's music, which was $100, sorry, back then, is how much he made from Oh Susanna, which is probably his most famous song, yeah. his most well-selling song. Um, and then he moved to New York about four years before he died, and nobody knows anything about what he was doing there or like what happened well, it's there. also right at the beginning of the Civil War. So it's like, so it's probably tough to get any information from things, or things yeah. got destroyed, or. Well, New York was also kind of a sort of a like New York City was a hotbed for um, for secessionists. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of that going on too. So I don't know. It's an interesting anybody in New York City during the Civil War time uh, is it's always fascinating to me. Like, why are you there, and what are your what do you think of all that stuff? So yeah, but I think I think the reason we probably don't know is just because. We don't know. Like, uh, yeah. we didn't care. We had other Why would we keep patients? Yeah. Exactly. Who gives a shit about this yeah. guy? Um, <laughs> well, no one's buying sheet music now because we're at fucking war. And we're yeah, exactly. Wait, it's high for the people will be dying. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Um, so apparently his family was very pro-slavery, uh, but Foster himself, Stephen, uh, was Stephen very... Collins. Stephen Collins. Stephen uh, Collins was very pro-abolition. Yeah. And he was the first white musician to ever refer to as a black woman as a lady. And yes, the song known as a lady in 1849. Yeah. So he's interesting because a lot of his shit is very bad now. Like, here's the thing. The N-word's never been good. It's never been uh, okay to say. And I don't let people off the hook for that shit because I think it's silly to apologize for people in the past when something was always wrong. Like, it's always not going to be okay to think of any other person as lower than yourself for any like yes. stupid thing like that. So he had a couple songs where he used that word mm-hmm. uh, in Oh Susanna specifically, yes. which not great. No, not um, and he did write for minstrel shows, which were hugely popular in the beginning of the 1800s. Everybody was writing for them. Again, none of this excuses the behavior. So he is certainly a controversial figure for a reason. Uh, but he was widely popular. So it's, it's, it's hard to talk about these things in a way that, like, I'm not letting this guy off the hook for anything. I'm just saying facts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't agree with the way he handled stuff. And, yes, there's accounting for time and people change and language changes. But certain things have never been okay. And I don't excuse that. So a lot of his songs that refer to black people as darkies or straight up, you know, use the N-word have been retconned mm-hmm. and changed. So Swanee River, also known as Old Folks Back Home, which is the Florida State song and has been since 1935. Swanee River, I swim in the Swanee River, that's man. Like, that's another famous song. Um, they use that song to inaug- for uh, governor inaugurations and have since then. Oh. But in 2008, um, Christ... Oh, yeah, Charlie Crist yeah, was like, let's not, let's not anymore. Cause the song says, Oh, darkies, how my heart grows weary. Um, and then they changed that for brothers or another like familiar member. But Chris was like, I don't think this is going to cut it. I want a new state anthem. Uh, and they did, they wrote a new state anthem, Florida, where the sawgrass meets the sky. But <laughs> people were like, we still want to keep this stuff. So how about we have an anthem in a state song? <laughs> we're going to keep this. So it's, it's, an I don't think it's Flo Rida. To come and like 
or Trick settle Daddy, this. or like one of the <laughs> million people that have come out of Florida that are musicians. Yes. Um, I mean, and the person who wrote the Sawgrass Meets the Sky, I think, was a, a, a black jazz musician from Florida. So it's the, though the lyrics have been expurgated, Wikipedia's word, which I learned it's today. Nice word, yeah. um, it's still part of the history, and the same thing with my old Kentucky home. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Another one of his most famous songs. Change the word darkies to people and the, the darkies are gay. Oh, yeah. The, it, tis the summer and the darkies are gay. Um, the darkies, oh, something, the time has come for the darkies to party. It's just so rough. Oh, it's rough. So they've, they've changed those words, but they still sing the Kentucky, uh, my old Kentucky home at the beginning of the Kentucky Derby every year. And they have four years and years. Um, in 1986 is when they finally changed the words. So wow. not too long ago. Wow. Not long enough ago, I should say. That's true. Um, and it's been the Kentucky State song since 1928. Oh, the sun shines bright On my old Kentucky home Tis summer The old folks are gay Well, the corn tops right in the meadows in the bloom While the birds make music all the day Weep no more, my lady Oh, weep The, just his biggest hits, Camp Town Races. I'm sure do everyone knows that one. Know. Yeah. Camp and again, races. all I can think about is RuPaul. Oh, did he die there? Yeah, true. That's um, a Hard Times, Swanee River, uh, Old Black Joe, again, yeah. uh, Beautiful Dreamer is probably the one that yeah. I know the best. I mean, I have heard the Flint Old Susanna and Camp Town Races because I live in America. Yes. Um, but Beautiful Dreamer, which is actually close, one of his last songs, it's reported to have been his last song ever recorded because mm-hmm. he died in 64, but it was written in 1862. And apparently, A Pond & Co., which was the evolution of Firth Pond & Co., um, claimed that it was his last song ever written for about 20 different wow. songs nice. and considering <laughs> consider he actually wrote it in 62 and it was published in 64 probably not and also that song is about a dead girl taking a cue from bob dylan hey, murder bob. Yes. <laughs> right? like, so like beautiful dreamer is a corpse he's singing the song to a corpse <laughs> so that's pretty rad but yeah he he also had like one of his little personal mission statements was, I want to write songs basically for like the upper class. We should use words that aren't so like pejorative or aren't so inciting. And yet, and yet he right. uses all this racist <laughs> and stuff. And it, it's, he's so, uh, because he was an abolitionist, but then he also used this language. But I feel like a lot of the abolitionists at the time would use similar language. And it's like, again, doesn't excuse the behavior but I don't know that he was any better or worse than his ilk. Like, I don't know that he was any better or worse than anyone else that was part of the union that was trying to make the world better. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's degrees of abolitionism, too. People who want black people to not be enslaved is the one... That's the only through line between anybody who would declare themselves an abolitionist. But then there's the people that think that they should have full and equal rights. And then there's people that think they should be sent back to Africa. Oh, you know, yeah. they shouldn't be enslaved. And so... If if we just base it on enslavement, it doesn't mean anything about making America better or being a a more inclusive nation. Like that is a that's a separate topic altogether, gotcha. and that's what comes later. Um, 
down the road. And we're still fighting for that kind of shit today. And because there wasn't a lot of writing about him and all of the things that he kept himself, like any journals or stuff like that, was destroyed or heavily edited, we'll never really know what he thought per se. But people like to ascribe that his his lyrics mm-hmm. were very autobiographical. I mean, especially with the song like Genie with the light brown hair. That was about his wife. Okay. Um, so you could do that. You could say, read into it and be like, this, the views that this guy stood for were here. And I mean... And we kind of talk about that with Bob Dylan all the time. If you just have a Bob Dylan uncontextualized and have him speaking for himself, there's a million different kind of reads. I mean, you can read it as intensely personal and all about Bob Dylan, or you read it as like poetry and somebody trying to write to something. So I'm sure people just want to see if they don't know anything about Stephen Foster, want to read his lyrics and be like, I know the man, but that's probably not true. So even like the song, My Old Kentucky Home, which was apparently inspired by Uncle Tob's Cabin, written by Harriet Beecher Stowe. I'm sure you've read that book or heard of that book. Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the very first publications that um, shone a light on the experience of the, like a slave Mm -hmm. uh, for generally white audiences. And the first time people started to empathize. It's weird. It's almost like when there's representation in the media that things get better because people can see other humans. It's incredibly racist book. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah, this is all in the context of that time. But yeah, for something like that to be like, oh, maybe, maybe this is not great. Maybe we shouldn't do this to people. (laughs) Um, but that was seen as an inspiration for the song, and even Frederick Douglass cited the song as being an experience that's empathetic towards the the black experience and the slave experience at the time, mm-hmm. because it's about a slave that he his plantation is gonna get shut down because it's going bankrupt, and he's like, "I'm a slave. I fucking love Kentucky, though. This is beautiful, and like it sucks that now I'm gonna get ripped away from yet another thing, which was a huge problem at the time too. Mm-hmm. Family separation. Oh, yeah. I mean, like." Not that we do that kind of stuff now. Who separates no, families? Who separates families? <laughs> so it's a uh, it's interesting. It's it's an interesting thing to think about or look at the lens of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you want to do the Bob Dylan thing and say that everything he wrote, you can just easily ascribe to his life. Like this is one to one, or it's you and know that's not good. That's not a good read. And I, mean, I don't the, think it's true because no. he wrote from both sides. He mm-hmm. wrote a lot of. Apparently, he was a, a bit of a drinker too. Oh, so he yes. wrote pro let's get wasted songs and then also temperance songs yeah. so like why well, you know what do you i don't know man so uh yeah i'm looking it up a little bit russell nye uh, wrote a wrote a book called uh, the embarrassed muse popular arts in america in 1970 and writing about foster he said i'll read two two um passages here quote foster wrote nearly 400 songs including comic songs mother songs tearful ballads war songs temperance songs hack ballads and after succumbing to alcoholism in the 1860s Anything that would bring him a few dollars. So, anything. And then he ended um, with the whole beautiful dreamer thing. He said, quote, Though he died at 37 with a few cents, 38 cents, um, in his pocket, and the manuscript for Beautiful Dreamer uh, in his pocket as well, uh, Foster was and still is the most popular of all American songwriters. Beyond his really great talent for melody, Foster's effectiveness lay also in the close integration of his lyrics with his music and their content, which dealt with the varieties of home, love, peace, security, and nostalgia. I think nostalgia is probably the big one. Oh, yeah. And nostalgia is the thing that keeps something like, you know, Dixie alive. Um, and it keeps that as your your anthem for states uh, to this day. And, um, and I think there's a level of Bob Dylan, too, where people listen, especially to the 60s music, and hear only the, their own nostalgia or, 
or a faux nostalgia. And I think that's that's always dangerous. And I think Stephen Foster is mostly interesting because it's not, again, it's not really what he was doing because we don't have any concrete stuff. But all of history is is how we remember these people. It's all memory, and it's he was writing songs from a specific time, and how that that how that's been interpreted through time is what is fascinating. How our own language has changed, how we include people, how we have have tried to make strides as a culture is interesting compared to what was happening here. Because some people consider him the very first popular songwriter, and a lot of his songs, even hard times, you read it, you're just like, whoa. This is a great song. Like this is a song that could be written today. Like th- this is great lyrics. These are great evocative images. And when I think of older music like that, I-, I think of it very simple, straightforward, always about like love and whatever. But like this is a really, I think this is a really great song. I, I don't really care for Bob's version of it. Yeah. But um, but I could see this in the right hands, like being really powerful. Well, the uh, one of the interesting things about this song specifically, "Hard Times," was not written in the, like, dialect that he would use for his minstrel shows, like, an older form of AAV, you could say. AAVE, I guess, African-American Vernacular English. Uh, it's, which was really demeaning and shitty, and, like, for him to write from that perspective is, is terrible. But this one wasn't written that way. So it, it seems less like a minstrelly parlor yeah. song um, and more of a genuine attempt at displaying the disparity that people were going yeah, through totally. at the time. Yeah, in the Library of Congress, they quote, melodically, it belongs to the category of minstrel songs. A four-part chorus is included. However, there is no dialect, no mention of slavery or other minstrel themes, and the show is described on the cover simply as one of Foster's melodies. In fact, the most ethnic, quote-unquote, ethnic feature of the hard times come again no more is its basis in a melody that Foster heard as a child in an African-American church in Lawrenceville, Pennsylvania. Hmm. So, very interesting. Oh, yeah, he also wrote a lot of of hymns, too. Mm -hmm. He's considered the first professional musician in America because he didn't have a job other than this. Like, after he wrote O Susanna, he was like, fuck it, I'm just doing this. So, you can hear me mention those, like, five or six songs that I did, but the dude wrote a ton of shit. Over 400, yeah. A lot of songs. And a lot of it, I'm sure, was just to make that coin after a while. Well, and he died with 38 cents in his pocket. Is... And uh, and this is this happens to Edgar Allan Poe and, and tons of people back in the day where, you know, you can get, you can complain about copyright and stuff like that. And, and there's definitely a line where Bob Dylan crosses over into the other category, which is, you know, there's it's got to stop being copyright at some point, man. But he, particularly, he's probably the, the biggest case of somebody who, who created all this popular art and yeah, really didn't get yeah. anything from it. And, uh, and I think that's been, um, you know, people that saw that and didn't, didn't want that to happen to them. I mean, right. putting your heart and soul in something like this, and this is something we want. I think people should get paid for it. And I think that's something we're still doing to this day. But then you also have Bob Dylan, who just released his um, best live cuts from the copyright albums, which are the albums that he re-copyrighted in Europe so he could get another 50-plus years on these songs. Oh, my God. Uh, even though they would have lapsed in European copyright. And, and Disney here has, has pushed hard to get copyrights for over 100 years. I think we're about 70 years at this point. Dear God. Which is life, and that's a life of a person, you know? So it's like, it will be copywritten for your life and a little bit beyond. But at some point, 
it's got to go into the public domain. Yeah, but, but the Disneys of the world will never let that happen. The Bob Dylan certainly will not let that happen. I mean, Columbia will probably do shit like this for the rest of our lives and, and pushing forward into whatever future hellscape we all exist in. <laughs> Bob Dylan's records will still if be released. <laughs> when the world is just in flames, Columbia Records will be churning out the newest, latest Bob Dylan. Uh, They'll be parachuting notices to people in the uh-huh. wasteland like, hey, be careful if you're trying about to sing a Bob Dylan yeah. song. Please cease and desist. Exactly. And it's like signing up for newsletters today are so easy. You just click the link. But, you know, in the hellscape in the future, I mean, you really got to, like, work to get to Columbia and, like, sign up for that that Bob Dylan (laughs) newsletter, you know? You never know. Is the song the sigh of the So we've talked a little bit about the song. We've talked a little about uh, Stephen Foster and everything like that. Let's talk about Bob Dylan's take. Uh, We've mentioned that it's been covered by tons of people. It's been covered by Dolly Parton, Emmylou Harris, Johnny Cash, Mavis Staples. Bruce Springsteen's done live versions of it. Mary J. Blige and The Roots have done a live version of it. Iron and Wine uh, did a version. Uh, In Civilization VI, the video game, it's Theodore Roosevelt's theme music, uh, which I found uh, on Wikipedia. I was like, ah, that's really fun. That is really weird. And again, it's it's taking something. Theodore Roosevelt wasn't even alive at that point. So it's like this idea, whatever this encapsulates, you're supposed to feel something, um, whatever that is. When you, when you see that. Uh, there's also talk about this being like a response to a riff almost on uh, Charles Dickens, who we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. That's where Dickensian comes from. Right, yeah, remember. Yeah. Uh, he published a book called Hard Times in 1854. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, talking about the plight of working people in, you know, Dickensian times. Uh, <laughs> the Industrial Revolution. And, and uh, a lot of people see obvi- obvious parallels, not only with the title, but just the content. I mean, he's talking about poor people. He's talking about working people. He's talking about using art as a way to escape the humdrum of life and less humdrum. We, we live in humdrum lives. They were living pretty brutal existences. Destitute. Exactly. And, uh, you know, he was growing up in a Pittsburgh that was, uh, rife with pollution, rife with unemployment. There was a cholera outbreak that happened that killed 400 people. Like he was, he was living in a, in a strange spot when he, when he wrote this and when he was thinking about this. And I think the Dickens thing is, is not wrong because, just like Stephen Foster was a huge international success in a time when that was really hard to do, so was Charles Dickens. You know, the, the, I feel like these people that could do that were definitely talking with one another. At least I, I think so. But Dylan's song, I really like his guitar. Guitar is nice. His voice, we're pretty used to the raggedness, but a lot of people not not into his voice. Um, I'm not sure what tuning it's in. I'm just going to assume standard tuning. But I do like when guitarists, uh, professional guitarists, are able to have a bass line with just using their six strings so yeah. he's really working that well to make it sound almost like two instruments and that's really impressive yeah it's nice to hear him doing guitar stuff again because when I think about stuff post honestly post 64 yeah, the guitar is never really that big of a feature uh, it's more Dylan in his songwriting but I, I like him coming back to it he's a really great guitarist yeah. and I think that gets lost a lot a great acoustic guitarist I'll say lost we have glasses oh lost oh wow let's uh, do this uh. Yeah! I really went for it. I was not really going for that. That was good. I wanted to get the sound. We never get the sounds. We're always drinking out of cans. That's right. This is mimosa time. Mimosa time! Grapefruit mimosas, my friends. Heck yeah. Which is probably called something else. Bellinis are champagne with peach juice, I think. Peach or pear. 
Mm, I don't know. I do pear juice, peach juice, no. I didn't know you could make peach juice. I mean, I can't. Well, sure. I guess I could. I guess we could just, like, smash up a peach. Yeah. And then try to collect. Actually, you could make, like, yeah, smash up a peach, a grape, an apple, and just, like, toss it in a, like, blender. I don't know. If only there were such things as juicers. Juicer. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's good shit. That's good shit. (laughs) So, yeah, I I think we've kind of, you know, we're circling around this song. It's tough because it's not a Bob Dylan song. We... Uh, typically, I kept I kept this on here because this is such a big album in his career, and you know it's an official album for what it's worth. And I, uh, there, you know, it's it's an old song, and it's a song that you can ascribe a lot of stuff to. I, and like I said before, I think the lyrics are really evocative. Um, like while we seek mirth and beauty and music, light and gay, there are uh, there are frail forms fainting at the door. Mm. While we all sup sorrow with the poor, like have supper. Sorrowful supper with the poor. That's uh, sup sorrow. That's how do you even sing that? How do you say that? I can't even do it. Though their voices are silent, their pleading looks will say. And then, of course, there's the pale drooping maiden who foils her life away. Well, apparently Probably that's that like the mother thing, song. Yeah. yeah, that's his, that's his thing. That's his yeah, thing. which is weird, but that's also very much of its time. And I don't know. It's like I I would want to. Um, the only analysis I would really want are like other writers at this time. Like, what were they writing in comparison to this? That's what's interesting. And Bob Dylan has that interesting thing too. Tin Pan Alley versus what Dylan was doing on Freewheeling makes him automatically more interesting in like just the way that he somersaults over everything that was happening in the 1950s. So I wonder what was happening a century before. Who else was writing songs and what were their songs like? They're probably hymnals and that kind of, but I'm sure there were somewhat popular artists that were trying to do something. Well, I think he benefited from um, growing up in a time where there was so much immigration from Europe yeah. and the people were singing their own native songs. I mean, I think it said it as much in the little biography I was reading um, because that's that's how music travels. It's You take a little bit from here and take, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's Bob Dylan in a nutshell. And we've talked about that, that all those traditional ballads and something like Shenandoah, you know, like moving across, becoming sea shanties in one place mm-hmm. and then having, you know, typical Irish folk ballads from the 1400s. Like, it's amazing. I mean, music's an amazing thing. And these songs have definitely been stretched out through time. And mm-hmm. that's what makes them fascinating. Mm-hmm. All right, Kelly, we were also real people in the world doing real stuff. Yeah, I was doing a lot of real stuff that wasn't Bob Dylan. See, so was I. So, Kelly, what were you doing this week and what sort of recommendations would you have at large for people who listen to this podcast? Well, like I said, I went on a lot of musical journeys. I, uh, <laughs> I went all over the place, really, like from local recordings of Portland throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Nice. Like, I mean, Dead Moon is a, is a big one that came out here, obviously, Slater Kinney, we we take that one. Uh, yeah. Quasi, which was uh, Janet Weiss's first band, um, but there was a lot of little independent labels, and I've been obsessed with uh, the website Discogs because I'm like becoming a little record collector, or at least trying to. Yeah. Um, and a guy that actually is a DJ on KBU again, shouting out KBU, KBOO, the best fucking radio station of all time. He's actually a DJ there. He did a little guest spot on Discogs about his 10 favorite albums Whoa. that ever came out of Portland. Amazing. I know. It was really cool. So I actually bought a couple of them. Um, they're just little EPs, like 45s. But yeah. uh, I don't know. So that was that was a whole thing. I also <laughs> <laughs> um, rediscovered, I mean, I didn't really know them, but I mean, I feel like I knew them. Joy Division. Now, you know the name of that bit, like, right? Do. You've heard Joy Division before. I do. Um, 
I didn't know that I, cause I went down a huge new wave, dark wave spiral. I was like, I'm listening to all this stuff. And at Joy Division, I was like, especially the song Level Tears Apart, that's like their biggest oh, yeah. one that everyone knows. I didn't know that the lead singer of Joy Division killed himself when he was Whoa. only 23, right before their second album actually even came out. They only made two albums. What? And the band New Order is Joy Division minus the lead singer because they said if the band ever broke up, if anyone ever left, we're changing the name of the band if we're carrying on. I had no idea. No fucking idea. New Order, obviously, was a huge yeah. fucking new wave band. Uh, Blue Monday is just one of yeah. their, their biggest songs. Holy shit. Yeah, no idea. It was really sad. I was reading about, I can't fucking remember his name now. Of course, I didn't write it down. Um, he was like always really struggling with depression. He just like started getting more paranoid and like fucked up as they went on. He like was one of those people that didn't want to be the front whenever they were performing and just like had a really hard time. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. And those two albums are fucking good. And so I was listening to that and other new wave stuff. Nine Inch Nails came out with a new mm-hmm. EP uh, a couple of months ago in June. It's not as good as Ad Violence. And I think it's a little. Juvenile, it reminded me a lot of Pretty Hate Machine. Some of the, like, I was up above it, now I'm down in it. It's kind of silly, <laughs> very basic lyrics. Um, yeah, Bad Mirror, which is, or Shit Mirror, sorry, which is the first track. It's like, it's really poppy, though, which is interesting. It, like, it could be any other rock band with a lot of distortion. Mm-hmm. So that was a little weird, but mostly it's fine. Which made me listen to Nine Inch Nails all over again. Yes, yes, yes. So that was great. And then uh, Her... H period, E period, R period. Maybe it's an acronym. We'll never know. Uh, she released an album uh, two weeks ago, I think. I used to know her. And the song Against Me is really great. Nice. Nothing to say, but you brought all the issues. I was staying with you. Don't hold it against me. Against me. Hold it against me. Also, I watched Killing Eve finally, and that's fucking amazing. So, if you haven't Excuse seen me. that, Killing Eve, it's got Killing Sandra Eve. Oh. Nice. I've heard good things. It's a BBC it. America show. Yeah. It's fucking great, and it's a lot gayer than I thought it was going to be, which is neat. Not gay enough, but pretty gay. So, okay. <laughs> pretty. What is it? Light, and were you feeling the the mirth, beauty, and music light and gay? Yeah, I was. Okay, there you go. <laughs> it's about a, an assassin, Sandra Ost, tracking an international assassin who is a lady. So that's nice. Lots of ladies. This has been a big, that's a big hit. Yeah, it's really, really good. It, so. Two, the only criticism I have of this show is uh, too many standoffs. Too many people pointing guns oh. at each other for a long period of time for no reason. So, well, for a reason, but it's just like trying to hype up the drama and it mm-hmm. just comes like, too many times. Any good show will let that go. Justified's mm-hmm. a great show that did uh, pretty much when it was a procedural in season one, standoff every time. Yeah. And that's, uh, that was Raylan's thing, obviously, is the fastest gun right. in the world. But they really, they really toned that down. They really got into stuff. So I don't know what killing Eve if it's just a short thing, but uh, they're, they're, they're having a second season. Okay, so hopefully, hopefully less, less standoffs. Yeah. That's all we want. Uh, I went to Virginia. Old Virginie, as you might call it. It was really hot. Does anyone call it Old Virginie? I think he wrote a song about Old Virginie. Oh, no! His uh, his most famous songs. Um, Yeah, I went there. It was too hot. I surprised my mom for her 60th birthday. Shout out, Mom. Happy birthday. She was very surprised. It was very great. Uh, Nazis came to Washington, D.C., but there was only like 20 of them, and there were thousands of protesters. Uh, So that was great. Fuck them. And uh, so I was pretty happy about that. Everything was pretty good. I got to I got to float down the Shenandoah. Obviously, we talked about uh, the Shenandoah River and Shenandoah in general. This is, of course, the Shenandoah River in Virginia, not in New Zealand. Oh, I thought you took a, a small trip while you were in Virginia a, to New Zealand. Took like a little prop lane. Oh, right, right. Across to New right. Zealand, okay. no big deal. 
Uh, yeah, no, I listened to a couple bands. Uh, Lucero came out with a new album, Among the Ghosts, which is fantastic. AJJ came out with like a B-side thing called Ugly Spiral, Lost Works 2012 to 16, which has some demos from their last two records. Um, Amanda Shires just released a record called To the Sunset. It's, it's pretty. It's like, a, it's like Americana music. But then, like, with kind of weird electronic vibes to it. and But it's also, like, all rooted in, like, the lives of people. Like, the songwriting is so clutch. But I like what they're trying to do, like, moving it beyond just a simple guitar and, like, a you know, just like a band, you know, playing normal stuff. So I really appreciate that. I never learned the names, the space between the stars, the shapes. Constellations make the burning jewels suspended in air. Aquarius is everywhere. 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 Um, a great post hardcore band that I found out is called, their name is Fiddlehead. Not great, but um, they have a the album is called Springtime and Blind that came out this year, so I'd recommend that as well. But really, I'd recommend our playlist. Yeah, it's fantastic. So Hard Times Only playlist. Uh, welcome back, ACDC, Thundercat, Animals, Johnny Cash. Too many to name. Welcome to our playlist world to Paramore, Ryan Bingham, Jillian Welch, who was probably oh my that was song. beautiful. I listened to that record. Fantastic. Oh my gosh. So good. Another great song, Baby Huey and the and the Babysitters. Yeah, that was an that ad- song has been covered about as many times as Hard Times because I had to I had to cut so many songs from this Hard Times playlist that, that were, were covers of that. that. Have you listened to that the one and only album that's on Spotify? His I didn't listen to the thing. Yeah, no, I just it's really it. good. Okay, it's like this weird lost uh, soul record. That's what I I did yeah. look it up briefly because I was like, what is this song? Because everyone's doing it, and yeah. that was the thing. So. I highly recommend that one. Cro-Mags, welcome to. Run DMC, first time. Portugal the Man. The Jetsons. Yeah, that, that was, was cool fun. too. I thought that was an 80s band. No. No, they're, they're just from today. And a band called Family Wagon. Yeah. I, I, what a strong playlist. Uh, and then, of course, we end with uh, the boss, the Big Boss Man theme song. Hell yeah. From <laughs> if you ever take a trip That to was so... I love that the recording's garbage. It's perfect. It's, so it's like somebody was holding a mic up to their fucking TV while they were watching wrestling. I can just see the Big Boss Man, though, walking out. It's pretty <laughs> It's pretty great. And then, of course, we end with Dillinger 4, uh, who have been on the playlist multiple times, uh, and they're, with their song, Handmade Hard Times Handed Back, off of Midwestern Songs in the Americas, which turned 20 years old this past June. So, wow. happy birthday, Dillinger 4. Please come play a show. I didn't realize they're my they were... only band that I haven't seen that so I want to see. Poppy, I thought they were like a hardcore band. No, there's pop punk band. There's a lot better. I made a playlist so I could listen to them. Yes, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah. And their last record, uh, Civil War, which Civil War, Stephen Foster. Oh my god, Civil War <laughs> from 2008. That was the last record they ever did, and it's like that's one of my favorite albums of all time. Uh, and then, of course, unfortunately, uh, sadly, Aretha Franklin died right. on August 16th, uh, which uh, was the same day that Elvis died. It was also my mom's birthday, who shares a birthday, 60th birthday, with Madonna. Okay. So a lot of stuff was happening on August 16th. Very sad. I went back and listened to all the big Aretha Franklin records. I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You from 1967. Aretha Now, Spirit in the Dark, Young, Gifted, and Black, which was amazing. And I was reading a lot of uh, obituaries and just sort of like send-ups to Aretha um, because the internet was sort of inundated with that, which was really lovely. And uh, in The New Yorker, Amanda Petrich wrote, uh, she said, quote, to listen to Aretha Franklin now is to hear everything, everything that came before her, each strain of American blues and jazz and gospel and soul, 
all the musical traditions people leaned on to stay alive and everything that exists now, all the singers she gave license to, everyone she taught. Her death is in all of us, as her songs are in all of us. She is as immortal as can be. And I think that ties right into Stephen Foster, who I think you could make the case, I mean, Aretha Franklin, obviously with all the recording stuff we have now, we can just listen to her, but I think a lot of what was said right there could be said about Stephen Foster's songs, and I, it's, it's amazing. So, I've had a great week. You've had a great week. Yeah. Let's go off into next week, Kelly. Yeah, let's do it. But before we do that, never forget that we are a real podcast. Never forget. We are at SOTW Pod on Twitter, SoundCloud, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, all those places. If you want to follow us, go for it. We recommend it. <laughs> and if you love us so much, and we thank everybody listening out there, we just past 20,000 listens a couple weeks ago. We're on the way to 25. Thank um, you for listening. Thanks for listening. And if you really, really like us and you want to contribute to our Mimosa Fund, mm. as little as a dollar, you're going to get every episode as we record them. You're just going to get your own special feed where everything we do is just going to go right to you the moment they're done, even if they're not coming out for a little while. Uh, we got a couple supplementals that we're working on. We've got a couple extra... Mixed up confusions in the works, so there's going to be a lot of stuff coming uh, your way for the next uh, couple months as season two winds down and we get to December, which is weird to talk about because it is still very much summer in the Pacific Northwest. So Kelly, let's go ahead and pick next week's song, number 79, Hard Times. It's off of our list. We are down two. My apologies. This is exciting for me now. It used to just be exciting for you to pick the new song because you want to know what the next song was. But now I feel like every time we pick a, a song, the number is lower. And that's really nice. It is. It is. I, I think that those days are are gone at this no. point. I, I've, I've created, it's been called Created a database for all of these songs, and uh, I, I, I eliminated the last of them uh, over the last couple of weeks. So we are down, though, to 446 songs, which, again... It is what it is. Okay. Kelly, one out of 446. Wait, was that right? 446? One out of 446. 401. 401. 401 would have been, ooh, a really, really short song. Uh, I think it might be the last, one of the last songs on New Morning from 1970 called Father of Night. Father of Night, Father of Dreams. It's just Bob at a piano. I think it's like a minute and a half song. Oh. It's very short. Huh. Um, no, the, the correct answer, Kelly, you're wrong, of course, uh, is 303. Oh, nervous, 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 nervous. Oh, shit, okay. So we are going back to Blood on the Tracks for the first time since episode three. That's because Tangled Up and Blues on that one. That's because Tangled Up and Blues. <laughs> I on knew that. something. So consider one of Bob Dylan's greatest records. I think you could make the case that it is his best album. We're going to be listening to a song called "Shelter from the Storm." It's mm. a very, very pretty song. Uh, it's the second to last song on the record, and uh, yeah, a couple live versions too. We're going to listen to the Hard Rain version. Listen to him live at Budokan from '76 and '79, respectively. And I'm sure there's a ton more actually. So we're going to get deep into it. Shelter from the Storm next week. How you feeling? You, you ready for some blood on the tracks? Sure. I don't know what to expect. Okay. Is well, it just Tangled Up in Blue seven or eight times that many songs there? Yeah. Yeah, just that's pretty much it. Oh, that's what I figured. I mean, Shelter from the Storm is uh, just Tangled Up in Blue. It's a cover of Tangled Up in Blue. Oh, right, okay. Just like the fourth version. Change the lyrics a little bit. Change the lyrics a little bit and okay. we'll call it a day. So we'll see you next week for Shelter from the Storm, a fantastic song from uh, Blood on the Tracks. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Baby, baby, sweet baby.